Welcome to the STEM Sessions podcast. I am your host, Jarl Cody. This summer, I noticed a bird building a nest in my trumpet flower plant in my backyard. After observation, I identified it as a northern mockingbird. It would carry sticks and grass into the trumpet flower, then fly out and repeat. I was able to watch the nest increase in size by looking at it from below. I've heard northern mockingbirds in my neighborhood for years. They would sing all day and all night. I'd wake up 3 a.m. and hear them if my window was open, but I knew nothing of the species or its life cycle. I then noticed that the mockingbirds were carrying insects to the nest instead of grass, and a few days later, I started hearing the sounds of babies screaming for food whenever the parents stopped by. Later, we saw two babies hopping around the canopy of the trumpet flower plant, and one was hopping around the yard. The parents kept watch and kept feeding them, We were able to watch the babies get bigger, lose their baby feathers, they explored more and more of the backyard, actually started flying and not just hopping around, and eventually they all left our yard for better territory. I researched a lot about the northern mockingbird to make sure I wouldn't cause them to abandon the chicks. And instead of just letting that information sit in my notebooks, I'd figure I'd share it with you now. This is the STEM Sessions Podcast, Episode 17, The Northern Mockingbird. The Northern Mockingbird, scientific name Mimus polyglottos, meaning the many-tongued mimic, sometimes called the American Nightingale, state bird of Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas, all-night serenader, devoted parent, and aggressive defender of its territory. The northern mockingbird is a medium-sized songbird, has a slender body, a small head, long legs, and long tail feathers. It has a long, thin bill with a very slight downward curve at the tip. Its wings are short but broad. Its overall coloration is gray-brown, with paler colors sometimes white on its breast and underside. It also has paler eyes. But in flight, its colors become flashy. When its wings are extended, each has a black underside with a single white patch. Its outer tail feathers also flash white when flying. Even when running on open ground, it often stops every few feet and partly spreads its wings to flash its white patches. It may be territorial, or it might be stirring up insects. The species exhibits limited sexual dimorphism, or a difference between the male and female of the species. The male is slightly larger than the female, with a body length of 8.5 to 10 inches for the male and 8 to 9 inches for the female. The male is also about 10% heavier at about 51 grams compared to 47 grams on average. Coloration between the sexes is the same as well, except for darker tail feathers on the female. Populations of the northern mockingbird are currently stable and even increasing in some areas. They're traditionally associated with the U.S. Southeast, including Texas. But today, crowdsourced sightings such as eBird.com show them all over North America. Hotspots are still in Texas and the southeastern U.S., Cuba, Puerto Rico, and other Caribbean islands. They're also frequently seen in Mexico and the U.S. West, and even New England. Less frequent sightings in northern states and Canadian provinces. Its range has fluctuated over the centuries. In the late 1700s to early 1900s, the pet trade decreased wild population in the northern ranges. 
Once the pet trade was stopped, the population rebounded. Recent decades, the population has expanded north, especially into New England, perhaps a result of widespread planting of multiflora rows, a source of favorite berries and good nest sites. In most areas where the northern mockingbird resides, it's a permanent resident, although the northernmost populations may move south during the really harsh winters. There are three recognized subspecies of the northern mockingbird. M.P. polyglottus is found in the southern and eastern United States, and it's the, the typical northern mockingbird that we think of. M.P. leucopterus is also called the western mockingbird and is found in western North America from the plains to the Pacific Ocean and into Mexico. M.P. orpheus is found in Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and other Caribbean islands. The three subspecies appear very similar to each other, with the primary difference being average size. The mockingbird on the islands, M.P. orpheus, tends to be smaller than the southern and eastern mainland bird, or M.P. polyglottus, while the western mockingbird, M.P. leucopterus, is the largest of the subspecies, but has a shorter tail. The northern mockingbird is famous for its songs. It will often repeat a phrase five to seven times before switching to the next piece of music. One study recorded at least 39 songs and 50 distinct calls in the populations it was following. As its name, the many-tongued mimic, implies, it can parrot nearly any sound in their immediate environment. Calls include other birds, car alarms, cell phone rings, musical instruments, and even dogs barking. The male sings all day and all night to attract a mate and establish his territory. And I can personally attest to the all day and night not being an exaggeration. If my bedroom window was open during the night, I would commonly hear him singing, sometimes annoyingly, sometimes pleasant, at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., all the way to sunrise. At first, I woke up several times confused as to what I was hearing because I couldn't understand how something could make that many unrelated sounds. Males and females both reach sexual maturity at approximately one year old. Breeding occurs in spring and early summer, depending on the climate. The male sings to attract nearby females. Courtship involves the male and female chasing each other through the male's territory. The male tries to dazzle the female by leaping and stretching his wings to show the aforementioned white patches. For the female, highly aggressive males are preferred. After finding his mate, the male begins building the nest. He selects a location in a tree or shrub, typically no higher than 10 feet above the ground. The mockingbirds in my backyard built their nest about 6 feet off the ground. The male uses twigs to build the foundation and weeds, grass, and leaves to build the cup. The female then lines the cup with softer materials like animal hair or moss or small roots. The female lays 2 to 6 eggs in a clutch. The eggs are greenish to bluish gray with blotches for camouflage. They're approximately one inch in size, and only the female incubates the eggs. The clutch hatches after 11 to 14 days, and then both parents actively feed and protect the hatchlings. Chicks leave the nest 10 to 12 days after hatching. The fledglings can't fly very well. They make short, awkward flights like domestic chickens. So they often just run along the ground more than fly. They still will have baby feathers, but the adult feathers quickly grow in. They'll hide in bushes and taller grass. The male parent becomes the primary caregiver. 
and is responsible for feeding, protecting, and teaching the fledglings to find food. However, the female is still involved, albeit at a distance. Fledglings are independent 10 to 15 days after leaving the nest. Flying is still a bit awkward for them, but they can get high enough in trees for protection and to find their own food. During the fledging process, parents begin building a new nest for their next brood. In fact, they'll have up to four broods in a year, depending on weather and available resources. They build a new nest each time. The parents are generally monogamous for the length of the breeding season and sometimes for life, though the female may choose a new mate between broods if the male does not provide enough feeding or protection. My observations more or less track with the timeline and description given in the literature. The parents started building a nest around June 13th. Uh, I first heard the chicks on July 3rd, so likely they hatched you know, a few days earlier around June 29th or June 30th. The first chick left the nest on July 8th, the second and third on July 9th. By July 15th, the fledglings could fly well enough to leave the ground for higher tree branches and the roof, though wing and tail feathers had not fully grown in yet. On July 18th, I still heard the occasional baby cheep from high in my cypress trees, and I still saw the parents, but they weren't feeding as often anymore. And by July 22nd, everybody, including the parents, had moved on. Both parents are very protective of their territory, nest, eggs, and chicks. They attack and yell at animals they deem to be threats. I saw them dive bomb squirrels, other birds, and feral cats. They also recognize returning threats, calling and attacking earlier each time they see a re repeat offender. In fact, one study showed as the same human approached and threatened a nest, alarm calls and attack flights increased each day. When a new human approached, the alarm calls and attack flights immediately decreased because they didn't recognize the new human as a threat. We gave our parent birds and nest and babies plenty of space, and the parents in my backyard never attacked or yelled at us. Maybe they understood we weren't a threat because we gave them so much space. The diet of a northern mockingbird is mostly insects, berries, and fruit. Depending on the location, it could be an even 50-50 split between insects and plants, with insects more in the spring and summer and fruit in the fall and winter when those berries are ripe. Personally, I saw the parents bring back grasshoppers, beetles, and worms, but caterpillars, ants, wasps, spiders, and snails are also on the menu. I even discovered the parents using my compost bin as a buffet of sorts, pulling out worms, other insects, and pieces of fruit. The fledglings also hung around the compost pile for easy food and warmth. The abundance of food can also influence the sex ratio of the offspring. Male chicks require more food because they ultimately have a larger body size. So there's a bias for raising male chicks at the beginning of a season when food is more abundant. Food was plentiful in my yard and neighborhood, but I have no idea what the sex ratio of my three chicks were. Although they are smaller birds, the northern mockingbird's aggressive behavior makes them less appealing targets of predation. Yet owls and hawks may still hunt adults if no other food is available to them. Fledglings are also vulnerable to raptors and domestic and feral cats because they often run along open ground. 
Eggs and nestlings are vulnerable to raptors, cats, sometimes snakes, so well-built, hidden, and defendable nests are vital. Weather patterns such as cold winters or mild winters, drought, also impact population numbers of the northern mockingbird. Watching a pair of northern mockingbirds raise three chicks was stressful. Uh, we couldn't use our backyard as we normally do. If, if we were too close to the nest when the parents stopped by with food, we had to back off. Uh, we had to take care when watering, when the fledglings were running around so we didn't get them wet because we never knew which bush they might be hiding in. We couldn't trim the bushes or the trees. The babies made noise from sunrise to sunset. And as humans, we interpreted their squeaking calls as, as frantic or being in danger. And that triggered us to want to help them. But the parents obviously knew what they were doing. So again, we just had to live with it and back off. Along with the stress, though, the experience was educational and very rewarding. Uh, first, I had to identify and research the type of bird to make sure I didn't do anything to make the situation more difficult. I wouldn't have learned any of the information in this episode had the northern mockingbird not selected my trumpet plant in which to nest. I even bought a new monocular, a better one, so I could observe them from afar. It's been several months since the baby successfully fledged. Uh, I see and hear the occasional mockingbird, and I'm sure the parents have moved on to a nesting site, or maybe two, by this point. I always want to encourage wildlife to thrive, so I took it as a big compliment they chose our yard to be their nesting site, and I'm very much looking forward to the next experience. Thank you for listening to this episode of the STEM Sessions podcast. I do my best to always provide accurate information, but unfortunately, I'm fallible like everyone else. So I encourage you to do your own research on the topic we discussed. Corrections and new information are always welcome. Show notes, contact information, and details of our other activities such as meetups can be found on our website, www.thestemsessions.com. If you receive value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. And most importantly, please remember that STEM is not the exclusive property of experts, policymakers, or talking heads. Every presenter is susceptible to bias unconsciously or deliberately. So always verify what you read and what you're told. Do your own research satisfy your curiosity, and keep learning.